We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you looked at the 96 Jags, there were certainly more of a a vertical passing game, and they had some of the option route elements that came out of the run and shoot. That's why during that 96 season, there was a big blow up with, with Andre Risen, who was, you know, uh, there on their team for about the first half of the season, maybe a little bit longer and running the wrong routes. And poor Mark had to throw some interceptions because Risen wasn't in the right spot. And they ended up moving on from him and really allowing for it to be the Jimmy Smith and Keenan McArdle show. It's January 97, Jaguars at Broncos. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Semerick, and my guest is Steve Palazzolo, PFF head of product and co-host of the PFF NFL show. Welcome, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. Anytime I can talk some Brunel and 96 Jags, pretty excited. Going into this, were you thinking, I can't see how the Jaguars can win this game? Yeah, it was a it was a fascinating time. I mean, I was I was in my teenage years and had just kind of jumped on the Jaguars bandwagon. I wasn't really watching the NFL on a weekly basis uh, until this season and, and really more toward the end of the season. And, and I had seen the Jags play earlier in the year and I thought, Brunel, you know, exciting player. I'm just going to. I'm going to start liking this team. And I actually jumped on their bandwagon when they were four and seven, believe it or not. And I remember going back through the standings saying, if, if a few things happen, a lot of things happen, actually, and they win out, they can actually make the playoffs. And that was the craziest thing is they won their last five games. They get up to nine and seven. They go in and beat Buffalo. So, yeah, I was kind of expecting them to lose going into Denver, who was just a powerhouse at that time led by Elway. But, you know, I think just all the craziness that had happened along the way, you know, and anything could happen. And that's, you know, part of the reason why I started to really love Brunel, the Jags and uh, you know, and they, they went on a pretty nice, nice run, you know, after that, even after this 96 season. And I was listening to you on the show yesterday, pairing the Titans to the 96 Jags. Both teams said Titans after they lose to Kyle Allen, Jags after they lose 20 to three to the Steelers, both sneak in nine and seven at the end of the season. Which team do you think was more unlikely to get to the conference title game? It's Well, probably the Titans, but, you know, the Jags really, I mean, they were in their second year of existence, you know, coming out of nowhere. Brunel was still kind of an unknown, even though he did get off to a, a pretty nice start in 96. But, you know, the, tit- it's, the Titans had Ryan Tannehill go from, you know, just another guy to the, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And there really are 
a lot of similarities. You know, the other thing that the Jags had was was Natron Means kind of emerged as a, as a power back in those two games with Buffalo and Denver. And, you know, there's some similarities there, obviously, with Derrick Henry and what he's doing right now. So, you know, anytime I can make that parallel to the 96 Jags, I'm going to try it. But I think the Jaguars coming from expansion in 95 and, and going on that run was still probably more unlikely than even the craziness that we're seeing right now. Now, the league leader in passing yards that season, Ryan Tannehill, top-graded quarterback this season, and then Natron Means and Derrick Henry take over. Yeah, and, you know, I think I think football's always been kind of true in that sense. Well-rounded teams win. It's not necessarily, you know, you have to run the ball X amount of times or yards, of course, but uh, finding different ways to win and, you know, even the, the Titans being able to say, look, if you're going to give us the run, we're going to run. If you're going to give us the pass, we can pass. And I think the Jags, they were a team that really didn't have much of a run game. But when you can break off a couple 40 and 50 yard runs like Natron Means did during the playoffs and like Derrick Henry's done during the playoffs, that's extremely valuable. Keeps defenses off balance and and, and gives you a shot. So um, I think the good teams learn how to they, they win in different ways. And I think that's that's certainly what the Jags did in 96 in their little run. Offensive coordinator Kevin Gilbride in 96 with the Jags ran more of an Earhart Perkins system with Tom Coughlin earlier in the 90s. The run and shoot with the Oilers and, and like with Arthur Smith, who recently learned under LaFleur and that kind of Shanahan system, but it doesn't seem like he neatly falls into one bucket as far as scheme or offensive coaching tree. No, yeah, I, I think there are definitely some similarities there as far as there's there's not a, a, a clean bucket. I think when you looked at the 96 Jags, there was certainly more of a, a vertical passing game, and they had some of the option route elements that kind of came out of the run and shoot. That's why during that 96 season, there was a big blow up with, with Andre Risen, who was you know, uh, they're on their team for about the first half of the season, maybe a little bit longer and running the wrong routes. And poor Mark had to throw some interceptions because Ryzen wasn't in the right spot. And they ended up moving on from him and really allowing for it to be the Jimmy Smith and Keenan McArdle show, um, which was, you know, for the better, I think, in Jacksonville. So there were some elements of the run and shoot and just, a you know, really a vertical stem passing game in Jacksonville. And I think with Tennessee, it is just an interesting time in the league because I think, you know, in hiring processes and all that stuff, a lot of people like to focus on the coaching tree. It's the Sean McVay tree. It's the Shanahan and Kubiak tree. And I think the assumption is that everybody on those on that tree, you know, those branches all must have the same philosophies. But the good coaches do evolve and they find, you know, the best stuff that they've learned and they evolve and they take a little bit from everybody. And I don't think there's a distinct style that defines the Titans. They've they've been a really efficient vertical passing team play action passing team they'll run you know some wide zone stuff with henry they'll run him downhill so um, they do do they do a very nice job of uh, of mixing things up to further the, the parallels of the 2019 titans and 96 jags gilbride as the scheme diverse many coaching trees very different types of influences being the arthur smith a coaching tree game. I workshopped different names when I did the one with Eric Eager on the 90s Packers and Niners. The name was That's Incestuous. Um, for this one, I'm going to go with Six Degrees of Kevin Gilbride. I'm not sure which one will help me get advertisers. That, you should be able to get something off of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Six Degrees is going to sell kind of like a little quiz game. So 
Jaguars expansion draft first pick Steve Bureline. What do Kevin Gilbride and Steve Bureline have in common as far as who hates them? Oh man, who hates? I'm not so I'm not nearly as good as Eric at NFL trivia. So, so I'm I'm not going to be great at this game. <laughs> start with the hardest one. So I actually stumped okay. Eric on the first one. I go with the hardest one first because I guess I'm uh, uh, crazy. Buddy Ryan <laughs> threw a punch at Kevin Gilbride on the. I remember line. that. I do remember that. Because Brian didn't like the run and shoot the other side of the ball. And then Steve Bureline was Brian's quarterback in Arizona. And in the most passive-aggressive power move toward your quarterback, as you can do, he exposed him to the expansion draft. And Jaguars <laughs> took him. I like uh, it. Okay, that makes sense now. I, that, that makes perfect sense with that connection. I get it. Oh, here, here's one. Mark Brunel is under, yeah, Tom Coughlin, Kevin Gilbride, the, you know, had the most passing yards in the league. Under Arthur Smith, you know, Ryan Tannehill had the highest BFF grade. This quarterback had, like Tannehill, the highest BFF grade from midseason on under Tom Coughlin and Kevin Gilbride. Oh, that would be Eli Manning. Yeah, 2011. 2011 Eli was legit. If you're making that Hall of Fame case for Eli, it's not just those playoff runs, which were fantastic, but that whole 2011 season played under an incredible, incredible amount of pressure. Talked about Gilbride loves that vertical scheme. Eli ran it to perfection despite a bad offensive line. Yeah, he was he was really good that entire season. And this one, I'm going to go a little bit of a stretch. I think it'll carry. This player scored the final touchdown in a playoff game in the tenure of this coach who was on a staff with Tom Coughlin. This is five degrees of Calvin Gilbride within the question, isn't it? Yeah, not the best worded question. I, I should have reworded that. So, so that's my fault. Anyways, I'll just run right into it. Keenan McCardell scored oh. the final touchdown in the final playoff game Bill Belichick had with the Browns. Um, oh, wow. I didn't even realize that either. Belichick's Browns knocked out Marcel's Patriots, got to the next game. 94. Uh, smashed by the Steelers. Yeah, I remember that in 94. I don't remember McCardell getting the last touchdown, though. That's great. I had no idea either until like a month ago when I was like digging around PF reference. <laughs> he only has like, three. What do you have? Three, three catches touchdown. I'm looking at it right now. He only had ten catches on the entire season, and he scored yeah. a touchdown that year in the playoffs. That's great. Yeah, randomly gets the last glimpse of you know happiness Belichick would have in Cleveland, perhaps for the rest of his life. We'll see. Um, <laughs> oh, and. This one's also going to be related, so you'll you'll see like kind of a segue from each of them. Arthur Smith was on the offensive staff in Tennessee at a time where this person was head coach, was also a tight ends coach under Kevin Gilbride with the Steelers. Is it Malarkey? Yep. All right. There you go. At least got uh, that one. And this one's going to be a little on the, the, the trollishly hard side uh, because I forgot this guy's name until I looked it up earlier. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. This man was the offensive coordinator when Arthur Smith got his first offensive job with the Titans and also the offensive coordinator who followed Kevin Gilbride in Jacksonville. Oh, that's uh, I know who followed Gilbride. Chris Palmer. Yep. Chris Palmer. Yeah, he continued. Similar system, vertical, down, you know, stretch the field type of deal before he moved on um, to Cleveland in 99, yeah. I believe. Yeah. The iconic expansion Browns team. That, Tim Couch. Um, Tim yeah. Couch. So that's six degrees of Kevin Gilbride. If um, any manscaping companies want to <laughs> do some sort of tie-in, 
I'll pass uh, along your info. I think you yeah. might get that. <laughs> I, uh, I'm sorry, Kevin Gilbride, uh, who is actually now the head coach of the XFL's team. He was on the same Ottawa Rough Riders staff in the 80s where he learned the run and shoot. With another run and shoot guy, June Jones, who's now XFL coach of the Houston Rough Riders. So XFL, they're thinking their marketing opportunities just going getting those old run and shoot guys. Yeah, just going back to the '80s run and shoot, and honestly, I mean the AAF and then you know now the XFL, a great place to run those extreme type of schemes, like run old school run and shoot, and just you know kind of see what happens at the at the pro level, right? Now to 1996. Kevin Gilbride is, starts as OC in 1995, the expansion year. And this is a podcast that wears its influences on its sleeve. The Jaguars go from yeah, expansion to AFC title within two years. So this segment is called How Hard Can It Be? You're Tom <laughs> Coughlin, the GM and head coach. How did you get from 4-12 and 12 expansion team to a conference title team? How? Oh, man. Uh, a lot of things had to fall into place. I mean, if you look at, you know, what you get in the expansion draft with a guy like Mark, you know, you get Mark Brunel, trade for Mark Brunel, right? Um, just getting guys like Jimmy Smith and Keenan McArdle to emerge, guys who, you know, Jimmy was, you know, he had off the field issues, had injuries, had whatever else going on when he was with Dallas and everything. Second round pick, tons of potential special teamer and all that stuff, but didn't figure it out until he got to Jacksonville and McCardle, like you said, you know, had the touchdown in the playoffs and everything, but hadn't really done a whole lot in Cleveland. And all of a sudden they're like the most prolific duo uh, in the NFL for, for a stretch of time. Uh, Brunel emerges as a guy with a, you know, you know, run past thread. He could scramble. He was like Steve Young light, really, you know, cannon for an arm. He could run that offense extremely well. You draft Tony Baselli at left tackle. They built a monster offensive line. And then the defense was a whole bunch of veterans that just kind of came together, combined with one of my favorite players of all time, Tony Brackens, as a rookie in 96, was just incredible. They draft Kevin Hardy. So it was just this nice uh, influx of, like, retread veterans. They drafted extremely well with guys like Baselli, Hardy, and Brackens. And, you know, found a quarterback, you know, and you, before you know it, it's like, hey, year two, you can make it to the AFC championship. Rally in the second half of 96, it all comes together. And then they go into Buffalo. We got some more Titans parallels. Patriots had made the Super Bowl for the best five. And so had the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I almost didn't even think of that exact parallel. This was like the last hurrah for the Bills. Jim Kelly. Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith. It really was. They they were they weren't as good as they had been during the Super Bowl run. You could tell Kelly was losing it a little bit. They just weren't the same team, and it was it was crazy, right? The upstart underdog Jags go in there, get a couple fluke plays that happen their way as well, and uh, pull pull the upset. I mean, I remember watching that Saturday afternoon game. I was. I was in high school, so, you know, high school, I'd, I'd sleep in until, like, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. I remember almost, like, rolling out of bed for, like, a noon or 12.30 start and watching this game and just being so fired up to watch my, my new favorite team, the Jags, go into Buffalo, uh, end their dynasty, essentially, and, uh, you know, pull the upset, you know, as the, as the pesky underdog. Yeah, like I said, a couple fluky plays. Then you've got, you know, Br- uh, Brunel hits McArdle in the end zone for a great touchdown. 
Um, you saw Brunel, you know, showed a scrambling bit. He showed a scrambling ability more in the other games in the playoffs, but the downfield passing attack when they needed it, Pete Mitchell over the middle, Tony Brackens, I told you, he just made plays left and right all over the place. So it was, uh, it was fun. Yeah. Clyde Simmons though, had the 20 yard pick six of Jim Kelly and uh, the whole game. It was like, nobody expected the Jags to win the announcers. Didn't expect it. I watched this game like once a year, though, just kind of like rehashing it. It was, a, it was a ton of fun. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Similarities with the wildcard game, Derrick Henry goes off for you know the 180. Uh, Natron Means goes off for the 170. Yep. Um, but then you go on to Denver, the number one seed, the number one offense, a team with the offensive player of the year, as I'm guessing Lamar Jackson is going to get. Jags were 12 and a half point dogs. Do you remember where you were? You know, was excited about the upset against Buffalo. I think I had definitely lower expectations going into Denver. But, you know, this was the beginning of Elway finds a running game, right? You get Terrell Davis with over 1,500 yards during the regular season. They're running that Shanahan system. And, um, it's all kind of coming together for Denver, who had been dominant in the league. And obviously this didn't demoralize them too much. They win the next two Super Bowls to, for Elway to go out on top. But uh, just a massive upset at the time. You mentioned 12 plus. The Jags were not expected to win. And there was uh, a lot of cool stuff happening in this game. Brunel scrambling a little bit, making some big throws down the field. He, this was the cleanest game, I think, that Brunel played. You know, he had a couple mishaps in the Buffalo game. This one was... Uh, was pretty clean, and they got that the Natron Means game again, 140 yards 
from him after 170 the previous week. And that is absolutely where you certainly see those those Titans parallels. Kudos to the Titans for pulling it off, though. Unlike the Jags, the Titans do benefit from some variance. Uh, Ravens actually missing their fourth and one attempts. Uh, you get some turnovers. And, of course, the the Broncos were just outgained. And the Broncos didn't even turn it over. The Jags just outgained them. The Jags even rallied back after being down early. Yeah, and, you know, I think you know Denver missed the extra point early on. Then they, they scored a touchdown, missed the extra point, get another touchdown. Elway throws a dime to Shannon Sharp, and then they go for two. And I think Sharp dropped it in the end zone. So it's 12 nothing in the first quarter. And it's like, all right, you know, the number one seed is covering, right? They're, they're dominating. And then the Jags just kind of crawled back. You get a big run from Means here and there. And, they're, you know, before you know it, it's 13 to 12 Jags. And those pesky guys are, are sticking around and... Uh, you know, stuck around to the end of the game. Elway would call it the worst loss of his life. Broncos hadn't won a Super Bowl. Right. And it was the waning, felt like the waning days of that run. Mark Schlereth, you know, a stalwart on those great offensive lines for the Broncos in the 90s, said that Brunel out Elwayed Elway. Brunel with some big runs down the stretch, much like Tannehill this playoffs. Brunel gets a 40-yard run in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that kind of showed his his dual threat ability, right? I mean, he was he had a good feel for when to scramble. He was really athletic. That was right before you know the following year he had a knee injury early in the season, and he just started to run less and less starting in that '97 season. But in '96. He's left-handed. He's number eight. He's only about six one. I mean, he really looked like a Steve Young type player. He was never as you know as good or as efficient as Steve Young as as much as Brunel's my boy. He's my favorite player of all time and all that stuff. But you know, he really had that true dual threat ability. He led all quarterbacks in passing yards and rushing yards that year. Yeah, for whatever that's worth, you know. And then um, when they're just trying to run the clock out, up three, and he just throws the classic fade to Jimmy Smith for a touchdown. I mean that. Um, he made big throws, big runs, like really when they needed in the fourth quarter. Yeah, McCardell and Jimmy Smith both come through, both get touchdowns. This was, I guess, early in the Rod Smith uh, run for Denver. He wasn't as worked in the offense that year. Um, yeah. But Sh- Shannon Sharp, yeah, had the drop in the quiet day, two catches. Obviously, he'd have plenty of great moments in the playoffs outside of that. And Jaguars pull out the win. In the postgame locker room, they brought up things they took exception to. One of them was Woody Page calling them the Jaguars. And... Uh, <laughs> And no one's going to call them that after they win in Denver, probably regardless of whether or not they win. John Jerkovich, who was key part of the uh, Packers win over the Niners in, in my last episode with Eric Eager, um, when he's on the Packers, he yeah. joins the Jaguars and kind of kind of becomes, seems like a leader there. He tells the, I'm reading this from the Chicago Tribune from that day, Jerkovich laughed at the fuss. I think this team is into degradation. He said, we need to be degraded. <laughs> use that well they were used to it the way tom coughlin was running training oh back then and all that right i mean that was like the big thing tom coughlin yeah. comes in in 95 and um i talked to pete prisco every now and again he was covering the jags back then and i think he did a really nice job giving like the the oral history of the 96 season i should have sent that your way uh before we got into this too but um you know he was right there for all of it and we've talked before about just how how intense it was and how you know, Tom Coughlin was bringing the toughness back to football and all this stuff. So they had gone, a re- 
you know, ridiculous training camp in 95. I think it was a little bit easier, but still similar in 96. So yeah, they were used to that, right? So they were used to their backs against the wall, uh, even against their own coach probably in their own mind. And uh, yeah, they played that underdog role extremely well. And that was you know, the game clinching touchdown when they were up three, it was third and five. And it was one of those, like, if you just convert, you could, you have a chance to run the clock out. But the fact that they ran a fade on third and five, I thought yeah. capped that underdog mentality. And it was like, I remember Brunel saying before, if, if they were pressing Jimmy Smith, we just, we throw it deep because Jimmy had such good, and Brunel threw a nice deep ball, but Smith just had such a good, uh, ability to track the ball, great speed, second gear uh, to get under it. And that was like the classic, just put it to a spot. Jimmy will beat the cornerback to the spot and, and, and make a play. That's like one of the classic plays of my, uh, my Jags fandom. And I think Gilbride and I think the Giants 07 Super Bowl against the Patriots, still plenty enough time on the clock. Gilbride Manning say, no, Plaxico, fade uh yeah let's let's uh take the lead now uh yeah. and basically put it away the jags going into the conference title game much like the titans seven and a half point dogs except this time the jags unlike the titans have to face bill belichick in the conference title belichick not the head coach but belichick managing defensive back for a pretty good unit including ty law and Lori malloy yeah, it was funny because I'm I'm from New England. I'm from the Boston area. And I did not like when you're growing up in New England, the Patriots weren't really a thing when I when I grew up, you know, late 80s, 90s and all that stuff. I mean, they did, they weren't even on the radar until Parcells got there and drafted Bledsoe and made them a reasonable team. So that was back when, you know, games would be blacked out. And so when I was seven, eight, nine years old, the Patriots weren't even on TV. They wouldn't even sell out. So they weren't even like a team for me to root for. Um, and like I said, I didn't really start following the NFL on a week-to-week basis until probably the 96 season. So I jumped on the Jags bandwagon. So I'm sitting there with a lone guy in New England rooting for the Jags to uh, to beat the Patriots. And, you know, wasn't to be my boy Brunel throwing the interception in the end zone to big play Willie Clay. That kind of turned things around. And it was a fumble return to kind of seal the deal for the Patriots late in the game as well in the fourth quarter. Final that lies how close that was. 13 to 6, Jaguars driving for a chance to tie. They have a fumble, get housed on them. You got a 26 game, and then you have the end zone interception to Clay. Parcells and Belichick do what they do, make you use your left hand. The Jaguars that day, their top targeted player was not Mercardell. It was not Jimmy Smith. It was their tight end, Mitchell. 10 targets for about like 60 something yards. So that's, that's tying one hand behind your back. Yeah. And they, so they had played earlier in the season and the Jags hit a couple Hail Marys on them. I think it was, you know, it was a close game in Foxborough early in the season. Patriots had already seen what they were all about. And yeah, they did a nice job taking away those, those top two receivers. And you just didn't get that. You didn't get the Natron means games that you got those first two, uh, weeks of the playoffs when he ran for 170 and 140 only 19 carries for 43 yards so they took away the running game took away the top passing options and yeah that was classic belichick defensive type of performance the means was popping off like seven eight a carry in those first right. two playoff games to end with a comparisons game and there are a, quite a few similarities between the games this so far this playoffs that other games just immediately pop up in my mind Obviously, yeah, when you brought up on the podcast, the PFF NFL show, you know, we got Titans, Ravens, comps to the Jags, Broncos in 96. 
So I'm going to say the game and see if you can guess which game this playoffs that relates to. It sounds convoluted, but I think it's going to work out as essentially a, a full 30-minute game show on television um, <laughs> Sunday It'll morning. It'll get there for sure. <laughs> so what game this postseason reminds you of 2005 in Cincinnati Kimo von Olhoffen knocks out Carson Palmer, and the Bengals' offense isn't the same. Steelers win in Cincy. So which game this postseason yeah. is like that? Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to... Quarterback oh, Carson Wentz. So you got yep. Seattle, yeah, Seattle 17 and Eagles 9. Carson yep. Wentz out after just a few snaps. The two Carsons get knocked out, and we, we were, were robbed of a potentially great game. So this one, this one's also has, has a tell. I th- I'm hoping each of these have a tell. Otherwise, this is just a mean game. Um, <laughs> 2004, Drew Brees has his team with a home game in the wild. They're third in point differential, but it was a loaded AFC that year. So they get a home wild card game. They're hosting. They lose in overtime. I'm going to have to say that's probably Drew Brees losing in overtime this year as well, right, against the Vikings. Yep, the the 4 Chargers, Marty Schottenheimer losing at home to uh, another slight quarterback, Ted Pennington and the Jets. Wow, perfect parallel right there, right? Yeah. Um, so this good. one's going to be slightly hard, but not too bad. Packers hosting the Niners in 96. This is actually the same weekend as Jack's Broncos game. The Niners are put at a 12:30 Eastern time game, which was fully unnecessary. There are two late slots, and but they make Niners go to Green Bay. Steve Young loses toward the end of his Niners career, while Green Bay doesn't get much from far. Favre throws for fewer than 100 yards. They rely on the run game and beat the the Niners. So is that one of the Titans wins? Yep, yep. The, the Titans ti- Patriots. Yep. There you Pre- go. So that yeah, so that Jaguars Broncos game was amazing because it was a weird weekend where you have teams winning where the quarterback throws for nothing. I think Bledsoe threw for like 170 against the Steelers that weekend. Aikman 100 yards flat in a Cowboys win over the Eagles, and Brett Favre fewer than 100 yards in wow. a win over the Niners. Giants managed to host a playoff game. Oh, actually, I wouldn't get caught up in who's hosting and who's away. But Giants, not the best quarterback in the Derby as far as the playoffs go. It's 1997 with Danny Cannell. They make the playoffs. Good team defense. Pulled a nine-point lead in the ball with under four minutes left. But Randall Cunningham brings the Vikings back for the win in the wild card. Oh, is that Bills Texans then? Yep. There we go. With that Deshaun Danny Watson Cannell. playing Randy, Randall Cunningham? Yep. And Danny Cannell playing Josh Allen? Yeah, there aren't enough <laughs> Yeah, that, that, I guess that's just mean for me. Uh, Good research, though. That's well done. Thanks, thanks, yeah. I'm not sure who it's mean to uh, either, but uh, it probably is mean to Josh Allen. Yeah. It's a um, parallel. It's what it is. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll, I'll finish it out with uh, two quick ones. Uh, Seattle, Green Bay. It kind of reminded me of other Seattle playoff losses where like they run the ball when it's not working in the first half and then say, hey, Russ, rally us, and he almost does, kind of like when they lost at Carolina a few years back. Yep. Similar and, to Dallas last year too, right? I mean, they just yep. ran the ball like crazy against Dallas and they wanted to run the ball even more and Russ is just dropping dimes in left and right. Seahawks don't have to go far for that comparison. And then with Houston, Kansas City, uh, I've never seen like that first half, so I won't even try. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the closest thing was the um, Patriots-Broncos Sunday Night Football 2013. Right. 
Broncos get up 24 nothing on some fluky plays. The Patriots didn't come back as quickly as the Chiefs did, but eventually did. And, you know, things, things evened out after a, a fluky start. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.